Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We have looked at this prayer that Paul had for the church at Philippi, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the past. I want to deal with a different section of it this morning. Why don't we pray before we get started? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help us now as we study your word. Lord, settle our hearts and minds. Lord, help our thoughts to be on you and your word. Father, I pray that your word will um, change us and that we will become more and more like you. Lord, we're trusting you to get the young people down to Georgia safely and to speak to their hearts. Lord, thank you for all the workers that have volunteered to help. Lord, we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. We're taking about 40 people down to the camp in Georgia this week, and that's just an amazing blessing. So I'm excited. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1 and look at verse 9. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. All right. So the first thing the Apostle Paul prays is that our love will abound. And that is something that we have to practice, isn't it? How many of you, there, there are times when you just don't feel particularly loving? Right? I'm usually that way when I'm driving. Right? It's a good thing they don't put bazookas on the front of cars. So... It says this, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. But this is such a vital part of it. In knowledge, in knowledge. How many of you know that people love in ways that are not biblical? Isn't that interesting? So the Bible says we're supposed to love in knowledge, or that our love is to abound more and more in knowledge. And in all, boy, this, this really would uh, trigger some people. Judgment. How can you ha- be, use judgment and be loving at the same time? I thought we're supposed to accept everything. Now, how many of you think maybe that the world's philosophy on these things is different than God's philosophy, right? So we, our love may abound more and more in Christ, in knowledge and in judgment, and we have looked at that in the past. And then look at what Paul is praying that they will do that ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may approve things that are excellent. You know, I tell people in, in workers' meetings and that type of thing that excellence at Grace Baptist Church is the only acceptable result. Excellence. Because people will step up in class to go to church, they won't step down. And I think it was Andy. First time I ever said that, Andy said, it shouldldn't be that way. And I said, yeah, well, I ought to be 6'4". <laughs> this is... Now you think that Christians shouldn't behave that way. Amen? But that's the world that we live in. One of the things about, you know, we're building this new building, Lord willing, and one of the things that has led us to that is we'll grow to a certain point and then we'll go back down because this is an amazing thing. People want to have seats when they come to church. Isn't that interesting? And so what are we going to do? The goal for the new facility is that it be excellent. Right now, we're not going to use marble and, you know, it's, it's going to be drywall and carpet. But it's going to look nice and clean and it's going to be a place where we can gather together and worship the Lord together. We want to do it well. Excellence is the only acceptable result. Uh, when I was in college, at Crown College in Tennessee, the pastor there, his name's Clarence Sexton, and he would preach a sermon every year called Keep the Ox and Clean the Crib. Keep the ox and clean the crib. The Bible says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. 
and you know you bring children in to the church and you do ministry, you're going to mark the walls. You're going to have dirty carpet, right? Keep the ox and clean the crib. If we're going to have ministry and we're going to do it well, it has to be excellent. But if we're going to maintain an excellent facility, that takes work. So all of you that clean the church after the services and you help with our facility, that is so important. I was thinking, I saw Dr. Ree out there mowing the grass this week and that we have the most overqualified lawn man in America. Isn't that right? And uh, John Leesner out mowing grass for us and working hard on our facility. And guys like Doug Schmidtmeyer spend their time coming in and working on our building, making sure our electrical systems are all working well. The men that, that invest, the, you ladies that come up during the week and do things on the facility, you care. You just care. It needs to be clean. My dad's grandmother uh, was from Marion, Indiana. They were farmers. And they didn't have a whole lot. And she would say, we might have to sit on boards, but they're going to be clean boards. You ever see somebody scrub a plain wood floor? Had nothing on it, but it was clean. Just scrubbed. That's what we're talking about. As far as a facility, we understand what it means for it to be right, for it to be excellent. I like to say this. Think, don't think Hilton and don't think Motel 6. Think Hampton Inn. That's what we're going for. Just, just nice, you know, just, just pleasant. That's what we're aiming for on the facility. But what about our lives? What about our lives? Would, would people who know you say that excellence for the Lord is your goal? That you may approve things that are excellent. You know what I This is good enough is not good enough. I remember my dad one time, you know, dad did furniture repair and that's how he would pay the bills while he was planting churches. And he was refinishing a desk and he was doing something on the back of a drawer. And I said, dad, nobody's ever going to see that. And he said, I'll know it's there. I'll know it's there. What is that? That's excellence. Excellence. That's the only acceptable result. Let me ask you, do you approve things that are excellent, or do you approve things that are, yeah, whatever, yeah, it's good enough, good enough. Remember, what is it, good enough for government work? You ever hear that? Good enough, that Justin Yeo's gone, so I need to say that while he's here. But um, it's really important that we see, so look at what it says, verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent. Now, this is the section that I want to focus on today. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So what we've learned in this text, Paul's prayer for them is that they would abound more and more in knowledge and judgment. He prayed that they would approve things that are excellent. And now he prays that they would be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. There's a word that I want you to think about. You've heard me talk about this before. What Paul is shooting for here is integrity. Integrity. Now, how many of you want to live a life of integrity? Right? So the idea here is integrity. In order to understand integrity, we must first realize that there are two forces at work in our lives and in this world. So God, here's the idea. God is trying to put things together in our lives. And Satan's trying to tear them apart. All right, so perfect example. Some of you are, are way ahead of me on this already. What God has joined together, 
let no man, what? Put asunder. So God is trying to put things together. Satan's trying to tear them apart. That's just marriage. Now, how many of you know that, that Satan does not want happy homes? Satan doesn't want godly marriages. That's the world that we live in. And that's just one example of where God is trying to put things together and Satan's trying to tear it apart. The Bible says how good it is when God's people dwell in unity. In unity. God wants unity in the church. As a matter of fact, here in Philippians, look at what it says in verse... um, So we're in chapter 1. And look with me in verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in many different spirits, with all different ideas, striving against each other for the faith of the gospel. Did I read that right? No, let's read it out loud together. You ready? Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. God wants us to be one. Satan wants to tear this church apart. God wants us to be one. And notice what it says, one mind. One mind. What is that? That we believe the same things. We approve the same things. And what are those things? The things that are excellent. So whether it's in ministry that we do ministry excellently or the facility, we care for the facility excellently, the most important thing is that we preach the truth with excellence. That understanding of doctrine, biblical doctrine and ministry, the way that we love each other, the way that we come together in unity, that that's excellent. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was God's opinion of Grace Baptist Church, that you are approving things that are excellent. So... God is putting together and sin and Satan tears things apart. I've said this when I've seen things that are going on in people's lives. I just hate sin. I just hate what it does in people's lives. If you knew what I heard just this week that's going on in people's lives, I hate sin. It destroys people. I like this idea. The root word, you've heard me say this before, but the root word of integrity is integer. Toll. It's complete. That's who we are supposed to be. How does that work out? It is a person with integrity is not divided. That's duplicity. Well, I have my church life and I have my work life. I have my church life and I have my school life. I have my home life and I have my life out in the world. How many of you think that's a bad idea? That's a really bad idea. Uh, I was uh, I was reading a book on the authenticity of the Gospels. And this guy was trying to defend the authenticity of the Scriptures. And he asked this Bible scholar, he said, are the, are the New Testament Gospels reliable? And he said, essentially. And my analogy for that is this. Imagine I go off on a trip and Laura comes, so I come home and Laura says to me, were you faithful while you were gone? Essentially. <laughs> How well is that going to go for me? I'd be dead, dead like Rover, dead all over. It, it's, it's really important that we get this, that God doesn't want us to be divided. He wants us to be whole, standing fast, standing true 
being faithful. Amen? That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be whole. And you'll see this. People with integrity have nothing to hide and nothing to fear. Their lives are open books. They are integers. They're whole. They have integrity. How would we describe them? Here in the context. Number one, their foundation is secure. Their foundation is secure. Look at what it says in verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that you don't complete your salvation that Jesus Christ does? Our foundation is secure. My behavior has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not I get to go to heaven. I get to go to heaven because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and Him saving me. Now, does that mean that God wants me to live however I want to live? No, 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 no. But my salvation is not based on my behavior. It's based on His righteousness and the free gift of eternal life that He has offered me as I repent of my sin and come to Him for eternal life. This is Now, this, this idea of our security and our growth, it is a continued progression. So salvation takes place at a point in time. Sanctification takes place over a period of time. Salvation. So a person can get saved and go to heaven and never have grown. Isn't that right? But God wants us to grow. All right. So that is that continued progression and spiritual integrity is built on excellence. And biblical excellence is built on godly love. See, If we become so concerned, I remember when we had just finished this auditorium and we were moving some things out that day, and some guy scuffed the wall on the back the first day that we had had it done. And I said, watch the walls, and I'm getting all upset. Right? Here's people giving their time, coming, working, doing everything they can, and so we scuff up the paint a little bit. How many of you think people are more important than paint? Right? But, man, when you get in the flesh and you're worried about the things more than the people... That's a problem. Amen? And i got to tell you, when you have a desire for excellence, that's a mistake that can be made. Isn't that right? Now, should we still care about the walls? Yes, but what's more important, the walls or the people? The people. Have you ever been in in a church where you could tell they didn't care? How many of you want Grace Baptist Church to be that way? No, no. But we got to care more about people than we do about things. That doesn't mean we don't care about the things, but we have to have the right priority in that. So the foundation of biblical excellence is godly love. And we are incapable of spiritual integrity until we grasp biblical excellence and godly love. Let Let me say that again. We are incapable of spiritual integrity until we grasp biblical excellence and godly love. And it's interesting how people think that these are mutually exclusive. If you love people, then you'll never correct them. Have you ever heard somebody this? I love my kids too much to discipline them. No, 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 no. You love yourself too much to discipline your kids. You don't like feeling bad. Got real quiet right there. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. So that's that contrast. If I really love my kids, I'll make sure that they understand biblical excellence. But I can't have spiritual integrity until I have both of those, an understanding of godly love and biblical excellence. That's the the secure foundation. But not only is their foundation secure, but number two, their faith is sincere. 
Their faith is sincere. Look at verse 10 again. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be, what does it say? Sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So here we have sincerity. What is sincerity? That, that, that word sincere, it's a fun word. It, it comes from a, two Latin words, and it means without wax. Is that helpful? How many of you are thinking of ears right now? Seriously, how many of you are thinking of ears? That has nothing to do with your ears. It, what it has to do with is pottery. You'd make a piece of pottery, and if it broke, if it wasn't solid, they'd fill it in with wax. So when people would go shopping for pottery, if it was in a dark place, they'd take it outside and hold it up to the sun, and the sun would reveal the cracks or the wax in what was supposed to be a solid piece of pottery. Right? Do you know what happens with us? The light of Jesus Christ reveals the cracks in our spiritual life. Sincerity means that you are whole, that you are complete, that your profession matches your life, that what you claim matches exactly what you believe. Now, how does that work? This is our sincerity and integrity are revealed when seen through the light of Jesus Christ through the Scriptures. Keep your place in Philippians. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. This is kind of a scary verse, really. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at what it says. It's talking about Jesus and the Word of God. And look at verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. So that means made plain, clear. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. How about that? Do you know that Jesus Christ knows about your sincerity? He knows about my sincerity. He knows about my integrity. So think about integrity and sincerity. Uh, this is interesting. I don't know about you guys. But for me, when I hear the word sincere, somebody if you say something, well, they're sincere, that usually means they're wrong. They mean well, but they're wrong, right? Have you, you know what I, how many of you kind of, that's kind of the, uh, the way that you think of that word. It's really not supposed to be that way. You know, if, if somebody is sincerely wrong, that's a problem. Our desire should not be to be sincere in and of itself. Our job should be, I want to be right biblically. And I know I've told you this, but when my mom gave my uncle the Why Baptist book, and he goes to a, he goes to a Baptist church now, but he grew up in a non-denominational church. Um, now, of course, my mom thought that that's the greatest book ever written in the history of Christianity. That's my mom. And so she showed it to my uncle, her brother, and he said this. He looked at it. The first thing he said was, does he think only Baptists are right? And I asked my mom, did you say yes? Everybody, I want you to say this. Ready? We're right. Okay. One, two, three. Right. And everybody, can I really? Can we say that? We live in a world where if you say we're right, that means somebody else is wrong. Duh. <laughs> See, the reason that I know we're right is because our Baptist distinctives come straight from the Scriptures. The Bible's our sole authority. Right? The autonomy of the local church. There's no hierarchy or 
anything outside of the local church and the scriptures. The priesthood of the believer. The Bible says that we're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We believe in two offices in the church, the pastor and the deacon. That's the only thing that you find in the church. We believe in individual soul liberty. The Bible says for most, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're either going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for what we've done as believers or the great white throne judgment and be judged for what we've done with Jesus Christ. That's it. Every man is a free moral agent before God. It's clear teaching of Scripture. Then we also believe in a saved church membership. When Philip was walking with the Ethiopian eunuch and the eunuch said, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip's, and Philip answered him and said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You've got to believe before you get baptized. And the eunuch said, I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they both went down into the water and he sprinkled him. No, they both went down into the water and he baptized him. That, that is biblical, a saved church membership. They're baptized, then they're added unto the church, such as should be saved in Acts chapter 2. Saved church membership. Then two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's it. There aren't seven sacraments. They're not sacerdotal. You don't receive grace. They are pictures. Jesus said, or the Apostle Paul said, as often as you do eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. It's, the Bible is so clear on that. And then separation of church and state. Because we have individual soul liberty. You, the government can't require anybody to believe anything. Amen. We persuade, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What is that? We're biblical. We're biblical. We're right. If anybody disagrees with anything I just said, they have to disagree with the Bible. Is that fair? Are you with me? So it's really important that if we have integrity and if we're sincere, we must be sincere about the truth, not sincere about error. And here's the deal. My opinions can be wrong. No, they're not. <laughs> my opinions can be wrong. Listen, but God's Word can never be wrong. So if I base my opinions on this, then I can be right. When we know that we're right, then we can stand. When you're not sure where to stand, you are sure to fall. It's so important that we get that. So their faith is sincere. Now, except for unbelief, Jesus criticized no sin more than hypocrisy. So keep your place in Philippians. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And let me be clear, just in case anyone misunderstood a minute ago. We're a Baptist church, not because we have chicken at carry-in dinners. We are a Baptist church because Baptist doctrine, those Baptist distinctives, those doctrines that make us distinct from every other Christian denomination are biblical doctrines. So you might be here and you say, well, wait a minute. My, my mom loves the Lord and she's a Presbyterian. I, I guarantee you that if she's a born-again Presbyterian, that she loves the Lord and she may love the Lord more than me. If she's born again and she's a Presbyterian, she's going to go to heaven. Isn't that right? But Presbyterian doctrine disagrees with the Scriptures. And so in those areas, I'm sorry, your mom's just wrong. And we get so sensitive about these things. 
You're saying my mother's throwing she loves Jesus? I didn't say she didn't love Jesus. If she believes in baptizing babies, I like to say this. If you show me one baby being baptized in this Bible, I'll eat it. Which one, the baby or the Bible? Both. They're not in there. Amen, 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 amen. amen. It's really important that we get this. If we're going to be sincere, it has to be about the truth. It has to be in knowledge and in judgment. What is judgment? I judge some things to be true and some things that aren't. Well, I don't think you should judge. Have you ever done this? You say to your wife, that dress looks really nice on you. And she says, don't you judge me. That is judgment. When you deem something pretty, you're judging it to be pretty. If you judge something to be unbiblical... What are you doing? You're approving those things that are excellent. And by approving things that are excellent, what you're doing is you're disapproving things that aren't. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, our sincerity and integrity are revealed when seen through the light of Jesus Christ. And except for unbelief, Jesus criticized no sin more than hypocrisy. Go to Matthew chapter 7 and look at verse 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. God doesn't like hypocrisy, but notice what it says. It doesn't say never point out the mote in your brother's eye. It says take care of yours first. How many of you that's kind of an interesting thought that you had never thought of it that way? The, the, you, the way that that's said in popular culture even in Christianity, is you should never criticize anybody. You should never point out anybody else's errors. That is simply not what the Bible says. Look at Matthew chapter 15. And look at verse 7. How many think we ought to be like Jesus? Amen. That is the weakest amen I've ever heard. How many think we ought to be like Jesus? Amen. Amen. Let's look at the kind and gentle Savior. Verse 7. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Man, if somebody teaches you something that's not in the Bible as a commandment of God, that is a doctrine of devils. God hates that. So what are we supposed to do? Approve things that are excellent. How do we know if it's excellent? If it's straight from the Word of God. Amen? It is so wonderful that we have the Bible that gives us this information. It's, we have a solid foundation. But I'll tell you what, except for unbelief, Jesus criticized no sin more than hypocrisy. Paul did too. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And look at the context again. It's so interesting how all this ties together. So Romans 12, look at verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. It's interesting. If I'm going to love right, it has to be in truth. It can't be with dissimulation. That's falsehood. That's fakeness. Have you ever had someone that claimed to love you and you knew they didn't? Man, that's a horrible place to be. And that's why we have to have it in knowledge and a judgment based on that which is true. But this verse ties in so well with what we've already said. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. All right, we've got to hate evil and love good. Hold fast 
cling to that. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 17. Let this be said of Grace Baptist Church, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. With sincerity. Not corrupting the Scriptures, but believing the Scriptures and exhorting by the Scriptures and teaching the Scriptures and building people up in the Scriptures, helping them to approve those things that are excellent, but abhor those things that are evil without dissimulation. Then, spiritual integrity involves every area of your life. Your relationship to God, your relationship to church, your relationship to other believers, and your relationship to the world. It's all a part of it. So what have we said? We're looking at these believers and their foundation is secure. Their faith is sincere. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1. Their foundation is secure. Their faith is sincere. But their fear is shame. Their fear is causing someone else to fall. Look at what it says in verse 10 that ye may approve, so Philippians 1, verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense. Now, remember that word offense, it's causing somebody to stumble. And it's not that you hurt somebody's feelings. It's that you hurt their spirituality. You hurt their walk with the Lord. Wouldn't it be awful if by my behavior someone didn't come, because of my behavior someone didn't come to Christ? Or, if because of my behavior, someone left the Lord. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you have ever been involved in a church split or church trouble. Now, praise God, I, I don't think, at least to my knowledge, there's never been a church split at Grace Baptist Church. Now, there might be one today, but as of today, there, there's never been one. But I've been around that kind of thing. How many of you, I will ask you to raise your hands, how many of you have seen someone behave who's supposed to be a Christian in a church argument in ways that simply are awful. Have you ever seen that? Do you know that that causes people to not want to be in church? That's why we're, we're of one mind, with one faith, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That, you see, that kind of antagonism where Satan wants to destroy a church and sin certainly will destroy a church. God wants us to be one. God wants us to have unity and He wants us to be without offense. And man, I wish I could stand up here and say that I have never caused offense. But I know I have. And I hate that. That is, it's awful. I want to be a man of integrity. I want to be one who approves things that are excellent. I want my sincerity to be evident. And I want to be without offense. And if I look back over my 20 years of ministry, I don't think I can say that, that I've been consistently that. But that's my desire. And here's the thing that you need to know about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not failing to live up to what you believe. Hypocrisy is professing something you don't believe. Any of you, have you failed on what you know that Christ has wanted you to do? Anyone here ever failed on that? That doesn't make you a hypocrite. 
It's professing when you've got no intention of believing it that makes you a hypocrite. So it's interesting. Sincerity is not being a hypocrite. Without offense is actively changing the way that you behave so that you don't cause somebody else to stumble. Amen? Man, that's what we need to be. We need to have integrity. We need to have love. We need to approve things that are excellent. And we need to not cause other people to stumble. It's the idea of not falling into sinful conduct and of not causing others to fall into sinful conduct or to refuse Christ by my behavior. Um, look, keep your place in Philippians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 32. This is a specific command. And so it's not only that we're not supposed to... Well, a lot of double negatives this morning. But it's not only that we are not to give offense to people in the church. But look what it says in verse 32. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, what does it say? That they may be saved. I was at uh, a store this week and was treated badly. And I said, what's your problem? Now imagine if that person that I had said that to because I was treated badly came to Grace Baptist Church. Do you know what I was doing? I was focusing on pleasing myself. See verse 33, even as I please all men in all things, even when I'm at the store. Isn't that amazing what we can do? Or maybe you don't. Isn't that amazing what I can do? We are supposed to be without offense. Why? So that they can be saved. What's more important, me being treated right in a store or that person going to heaven? It's so important that we are without offense. So this has a positive and a negative connotation. Negatively, I don't cause someone to stumble. And positively, I live in a way that will lead others to Christ. So did you get that? Negatively, I don't cause another person to stumble. But positively, I live in a way that will lead others to Christ. Listen to what Alexander McLaren said. That which is sincere is so because when held up to the light, it shows no flaws. And that which is without offense is so by the power of discrimination so that there is no stumbling. The life which discerns keenly will bring forth fruit which consists of righteousness and that fruit is to fill the whole nature so that no part shall be without it. Man, I want my whole life to be a representation of what life in Christ is like. You can only do that when you walk in the Spirit, folks. You can only do that. So, go back to Philippians chapter 1. Their foundation is secure. Their faith is sincere. Their fear is shame. But I like this. Their friend is coming. Look at verse 10 again. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. How many of you are glad Jesus Christ is coming back? Amen. He is coming back. He's going to take us out of this mess. He's going to clean it all up. Praise His name. Do you know that my job is not to clean up the world? It's not my job. 
My job is to glorify Christ in this world by approving things that are excellent in all knowledge and in judgment and, and to be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That is my job. So what happens? This will fulfill godly love. This will reveal biblical excellence. And this will reward spiritual integrity. Oh, look, I can't wait until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. I am so... Oh, I want Him to come back. I want Him to come back. But what if He doesn't come back for another hundred years? What kind of a church are we going to leave behind? Are you glad that some came before you so that you could be here at Grace Baptist? Are you glad that somebody came before you? What are we going to leave for the next generation? What are we going to leave? Is it going to be a church of integrity or is it going to be a church of awful, nasty, bitter people? Now, I'm glad we're not a church of awful, nasty, bitter people. A few of you are, but I'm glad that the whole church isn't that way. Let's make sure that we leave behind a reputation that we fulfilled the prayer the Apostle Paul had for the church at Philippi. Amen? Amen. Let's be those kind of people. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.